Welcome to the Health Leaders Podcast, the place for peer-sourced and solution-focused insights for healthcare executives, airing every Tuesday. I'm Melanie Blackman, the Strategy Editor for Health Leaders. My guest for today's episode is Dr. Ann Klebanski, who serves as President and CEO of Mass General Brigham, an integrated healthcare system based in Boston, Massachusetts. Prior to stepping into her current role in 2019, she served as the system's interim CEO and previously served as the system's chief academic officer and as chief of neuroendocrine at Massachusetts General Hospital. During our conversation, Anne shares the health system's successful initiatives she's led this year, as well as looks to the future care models needed for a successful patient-centric healthcare system. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and to hear about your career journey and future plans for Mass General Brigham. Thank you, Melanie. It's a pleasure to be here and talk to you as well. Well, to start us off, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your personal and professional background and what drew you to work in neuroendocrinology and healthcare. I'm originally from New York. Uh, I grew up in a family, I would say, who very much valued resiliency. Resiliency being a very important characteristic of there are so many things that are really out of one's control. And understanding how to best deal with that is an important attribute. And I'd say the second important characteristic is compassion and what impact you have on other people. Those were two, you know, guiding principles, I would say. When I started college, I brought two really important interests with me. One was literature, specifically poetry, uh, and the other was chemistry. And they came together in interesting ways. I've always loved poetry. It really requires incredible discipline to take many, many complex things and really put them together in a simple way that really requires interpretation from many perspectives, thinking through what it means for people. That was something that appealed to me enormously. And I think also with chemistry, it was, again, the simplicity of organization of multiple elements and what that looked like. So I went through college with this combined interest of different things that really drew me to complex systems that had just an enormous appeal to me. And I think also it was how do you bring things together that are complicated so that they make sense? And I think in terms of medicine in particular, Solving problems, how do you have impact and change lives for the better? Those things also really drew me to medicine. In medicine, I was immediately interested in in a very subspecialized area of neuroendocrinology. Um, and I like that enormously because it is a very complex field. It brings together so many different things hormone regulation, multiple feedback systems, the brain, behavior, so many different things that are really so delicately orchestrated in a way that is profoundly important in human health. And one of the things about neuroendocrinology as a discipline is uh, sometimes very, very small things 
can cause so much havoc with the human system and can have such a profound impact on health. And the ability and the discipline required to tease all of this apart for a patient so that one can actually determine what went wrong, what needs to be corrected. These things can have such life-saving effects on patients. And all of that just became so important to me in terms of medicine. And I think throughout my own career as a scientist, as a researcher, as a clinician, all of those things together really are how do you have the greatest impact? How do you make things simplified? How do you look at many complex things and put them together in a way that really can benefit health, that can benefit people, that can benefit patients? And I think those have really been very, very much guiding principles uh, in my career. Oh, I love hearing that you were able to follow multiple paths and and follow your love of poetry as well as healthcare. I think it's really beautiful how you spoke about how complex poetry can be, and we all know how complex that healthcare can be, um, and even with neuroendocrinology. And it really seems like such a great path to go into then leadership in healthcare, because that is also a complex role. I'd love to talk a little bit about your tenure as president and CEO of Mass General Brigham. I've read that your vision has been to build the integrated academic healthcare system of the future with patients at the center. What strategies and initiatives have you led to make this a reality since you stepped into that role in 2019? Thank you, Melanie. I'd say the first thing is if I look across what is now Mass General Brigham and thinking about it and carrying forward that same thinking of how do you take different parts of things? How do you tease things apart? How do you put them together for the greatest impact? How do you really have those things that matter most to take care of patients? If I look across the system, it has always been two renowned academic medical centers. You have Brigham and Women's Hospital, you have Mass General Hospital, renowned hospitals, experts in care of very, very complex patients. You have three specialty hospitals that are renowned, McLean for psychiatry, Spalding Rehabilitation, Mass Ioneer, community hospitals, outpatient clinics, urgent care, all of these things together. So you look at all of those parts, and I thought to myself, as we need to think about healthcare systems, what is it that we can put together in a different way? What is it that we can do that really takes advantage of the real essence of why people come to this system? What is it that we can provide best for patients? How do we look at that in a very different way? So I'd say the first thing is looking at all the parts of the system and thinking about how do you take the best of all the parts and again, have the best impact. Think about what this looks like because it is Yes, building the integrated academic healthcare system, but of the future. And that requires a very different mindset if we think about all the incredible challenges in healthcare that we're seeing every day, that we saw before COVID, 
that we saw after COVID, exaggerating all of these challenges that we knew were there. What does that really look like? So I think the first thing is to really look at, you know, what are the strategic priorities we are focused on? And to your question, what are those strategic priorities and initiatives that actually can bring this and make it a reality? And I think the there are several really guiding principles that we've looked at. And I think the first thing is understanding the care continuum and providing access to it. What does that look like? How do you access the system, provide patient navigation throughout the entire continuum of care, whether it's care at a academic medical center and what that means, that tertiary complicated care, that complex care that is so informed by all of the cutting edge research that's done, all of that. What's the care that's being provided in community hospitals? How do we provide care close to home? So that's the whole care continuum. And what care do we provide in the home? Technology enabled care. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, which again, all relates to each other is what's often called value-based care. How do you acknowledge the importance of lowering the total cost of care? And how do you use technology to help you provide care again, closer to home, in the home, so that patients get the right care at the right place, not only when they're acutely ill, but throughout the entire healthcare continuum journey. The third thing, and this, this is one that, again, resonates so strongly in this system, it's what are the ideas, what's the innovation, what is fueled by that research base and innovation that actually will be looking at cures in the future, new technologies, new therapies that really revolutionize care, not only within our healthcare system, but throughout the country and beyond. Then fourthly is health equity. Health equity is so critical. It's how do we all provide the best care? More importantly, or thinking about it as how do we provide the best equitable care, understanding the inequities in healthcare that have been there for so many years. So when we think about providing the best care, it has to be how do we provide the best equitable care? And then I'd say fifth, as a not-for-profit healthcare system, how do we make sure that all of the things that we do, it's providing that really high intensity complex care that again is so based and fueled by research and innovation. How do we make sure that we are supporting that research mission that is so closely tied to that care? How do we make sure that we continue to train the next generation of clinicians, scientists, innovators that is so important in the future of healthcare? And how do we again make sure that we are providing all of that care with equity and how do we make sure that that revenue that is coming in is all used to to really fund that academic mission? So I, I want to make the point again about the fifth point, the revenue that is generated by not-for-profit systems all goes back into mission. It all goes back to funding the mission. And I would just say, and I think as everyone realizes, given the crisis in healthcare and the crisis in financials everywhere, uh, that is increasingly at risk. So some of the specifics we're using, driving clinical integration. Clinical integration is key to transforming this system, setting up service lines, integrating service lines, 
so that we have radiology as enterprise services throughout the whole system, no matter where you go, whether it's in the academic medical center, whether it's a community hospital, wherever you are in the system, you get the very finest radiology services. No matter where you go in the system, you get the very best and finest radiology services so that every image, every patient can have the very best person reading it and all of these images are digitally transferred. So what we've done in radiology, we're also doing in pathology. We're also doing in emergency medicine. We're also doing in anesthesiology. These are enterprise-wide services to provide the best care in all of these areas throughout the entire system, no matter where you are. We're also really looking at using all parts of the system so again, what is the best experience that can be provided anywhere in the system? And that is extremely helpful in dealing with access and the ongoing capacity crisis. The ongoing capacity crisis that we are seeing, everyone is seeing throughout Massachusetts, everyone is seeing around the country. There are not enough beds. There are not enough outpatient facilities. We have to really, really push hard on technology-enabled care, on home-based care, and really shifting more care, not only closer to home, but in the home, using telehealth, using digital solutions to break down barriers. All of these things will be transformative in healthcare. And I'd say again, throughout it all, a single focus on patient-centered research and innovation, really leveraging that $2.3 billion research base, reducing disparities, and doing all the things we need to do to truly come together as an integrated healthcare delivery system with that really strong base of research and innovation and academics, which really helps establish healthcare throughout, really throughout the system and throughout the world. Absolutely. The system is doing such great work and really excited to see what this next year will bring as well. What will be some of your top areas of focus in the new year? I think lack of access to quality health care is a crisis across the country uh, globally. Access is also an equity issue. The capacity levels that we're seeing are incredibly high. The capacity challenges are incredibly grave. We have labor shortages that make it very difficult to provide needed care. Filling the void with short-term labor is very costly. We're also seeing across the country many employees who are leaving healthcare, and the pipeline for many of these positions is really inadequate. We have the cost of drug supplies, equipment, supply chain shortages, and, and I don't think the highest level of inflation in 40 years has escaped anybody. So really working on access, that is, that is a very, very high priority item. And as I've mentioned before, you know, one of the ways in which we're dealing with this is the kinds of things we're talking about. It is really taking all of the parts of the system and bringing them together. It's efficiency. It's integrated care delivery. It's the services, the four of them uh, that I talked about as being enterprise-wide services, radiology, pathology, emergency medicine, anesthesiology. But it's also setting up service lines. So we've launched a service line in cardiovascular medicine, which is cardiac surgery and cardiology. These are incredibly important in terms of access 
because it will provide a single entry point for patients who need any of this care. And it also gets into how do we move care to the right place? So you so much care can be provided in community hospitals. So much care can be provided in ambulatory. So these strategic priorities in terms of access and what we're doing in terms of really single operations management, having a single operations team across the entire system, having the hospitals that are community hospitals put together as a community division, all of these things are part of a plan to really deal with the crisis in healthcare, how we really capture patients to be in the right place to get the right care at the right time, the continuum of care that I talked about, how we really reach out to patients ahead so that we can actually deal with so many of these issues before patients come to the emergency departments. Embracing digital care delivery, I just want to highlight as an important priority as we head into 2023 and beyond. We need to embrace the fact that care models have fundamentally changed. We need to reach out to patients. Patients need to reach us not only in terms of where they come in to be seen, but we really are redefining the patient experience and contact with patients. Patients need to have a journey throughout their health. They need to be seen in many, many different ways. So I mentioned the geography of it, who comes to an academic medical center, who comes to a community hospital, who's seen in an ambulatory center. All of those things require immense work, and we are working on that every day. But it is also embracing new models of healthcare delivery. How do we really reach people in different communities? How do we get beyond the digital divide so that no matter where people live, they have access to care that can be provided via telehealth? What does that look like? And how do you enable the technology to occur? So much of this is not new technology. It's employing the technology that has been there a long time. The ability for telehealth, that's not new, hasn't been really employed the way it needs to. And so that is the kind of work that we're doing. And during the pandemic, we saw what that looked like. We saw a few thousand telehealth visits go to over 2 million in a fairly short period of time. And it was life-changing for many patients. In behavioral health, for example, the crush in behavioral health needs around the country are just formidable and they are increasing, escalating all the time using telehealth, that is the way to reach people, to have specialists who people need to see. But we have so many barriers in all of this. It's the use, it's the regulations around it, it's the credentialing out of state. All of these things need to be worked on. But it is a different care delivery model. Health at home, hospital at home, these are concepts that have been talked about for a really long time. What's the reality of that? These are very strong focuses for this coming year. We've already started to work on that. And I'd say the other thing that relates to that is partnerships. It's intentional partnerships. We see so many for-profit companies, technology companies, all pharmaceutical companies, lots of different companies coming into this space. How do we partner with those companies that provide things that will really be beneficial to the not-for-profit healthcare world. How do we think about partnerships in a very different way? So I'll call it intentional partnerships that are really important for the future of healthcare. We often hear about competition 
between for-profit companies, startups, and the not-for-profit healthcare system like ours that really needs to put revenue generated back into the system and supporting the mission. As I as as many have said, and I'm always happy to join saying this, we do not have shareholders. Our shareholders are our patients. We have to invest in our patients. So how do we have those intentional partnerships that enable us to do that? And the last thing I'll emphasize in terms of 23 priorities, which is something I mentioned before, we have to continue to support research. That's the treatments of the future. That is the knowledge and the innovation that will help define the future of healthcare. So it's innovation in all of those areas and innovation in healthcare delivery. Both need to be done in parallel. Both are absolutely essential for the future of healthcare. It's always so interesting when we're talking about the future of healthcare that we have to really think to the past and present of how much COVID has really affected the healthcare space. It's affected everything in our lives, right? Um, Yes. It's really exciting to see all of those innovations and new ways that we can do old things. And so I'm I'm hopeful for the new year and I hope that you know we can continue to to redefine that patient experience and to really change the care model and and kind of break down the complexities of healthcare. What advice do you have for other uh, health system and hospital executives when it comes to what hospitals and health systems should prioritize in 2023 to be successful? So I think that for healthcare leaders and for all of us who have enormous challenges ahead, I think the first thing is that together as leaders, we need to work in new ways to think about what's best for patients. And no matter where you are in the healthcare world, no matter what you're doing, and I've already spoken about the specific challenges of academic healthcare systems, and I worry very much about them, because in addition to all the challenges that we've talked about for all of healthcare, maintaining that academic medical center system where you really are investing in and promoting all of those things we've talked about, research, innovation, teaching, a service to community, all of that, the complex care, that's, that's, those are formidable obstacles. We need to all focus on the bigger goals but I think all healthcare needs to focus on what are the models of healthcare delivery? What are the models of healthcare delivery in the future? What are we all collectively thinking about? How do we best work with the state, with for profit companies, with the government to think about what are the best models? There are so many small community hospitals throughout the state, throughout the country that are in danger of closing. How do we think about providing care in so many different settings in a different way? Many of the old models are absolutely hospital-ocentric. We have to think about the role of those hospitals, those really tertiary, quaternary care hospitals, and who needs to go there. But we also need to think about how we change the model of shifting care out into the home, out in the community, and partner in a very different way to to think about that. So, So I would say that's the first thing we all need to be thinking about. The second thing are the basic financial models that really fund healthcare. How do we achieve lowering the total 
cost of care, providing equitable care and access, and at the same time surviving as healthcare systems. We need to all be very much focused on that. So I, I would say that I'm very optimistic about the future, but it will really take a very different mindset to really always put patients at the center of everything that we do and decisions that are made. And that is going to be a real shift, I think, for many healthcare systems and also how we think about things in general. Absolutely. Those are all really great points. Switching gears a little bit, as I said before, in 2019, um, you became president and CEO of Mass General Brigham, which was Partners Healthcare at the time, and you're also the first woman leader. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how your background as a physician and a woman leader and how that helps define your current leadership style. You know, I think a lot of my story, and it's, uh, I think, the stories of many, is is really building on what you've done and also seeing so many different things that you do in your career as all part of the same thing. You know, sometimes people think of the different things they've done as really not being very related to what they're doing at the moment. And I think that's a, that's a, a major mistake. So think about it collectively. I think that we also have to always be thinking about patients. And, you know, I've spent really the, so much of my career, the vast majority of my career seeing patients. So I think prioritizing, listening, pe getting people excited about a shared vision and really viewing things with multiple perspectives, that's been really important. I think when it comes to women in general and thinking about women in leadership, when I was first named to this position, when people asked me about this, I said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the day when nobody says, how do you feel about being the first you know, woman CEO in this job? And I, I stand by that. But I do think mentoring and thinking through what people's careers are is the most important thing. And my, my advice to, to anybody is this, do what you're passionate about. If you're doing what you're passionate about, if you and people around you share a vision, progress will be made. And, you know, I feel that the way I feel that very strongly. And the last thing I'll say is there are so many people whose lives have been profoundly changed by having a chance. So giving people a chance, making sure they're doing what they're passionate about, that's absolutely critical. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Klebanski, thank you again so much for taking the time to speak with me and to share your expertise on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Melanie. I enjoyed the time we spent together. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Health Leaders Podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday with more healthcare industry insights.